Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am so glad that today is here. The hour is upon us, and we've got a couple hours of great radio together. I'm looking forward to that. Dr. Alex McFarlane is going to be joining me in just seconds. And then uh, after that, Matt Mitchell is going to be coming on the program. He's written a book on gossiping. It's called Resisting Gossip, Winning the War of the Wagging Tongue. And then uh, hour two is going to be a Professor philosopher and theologian Ken Samples. So that is what is uh, up for today. I'm excited to talk to my friend Alex McFarlane. He hasn't been on in a couple of weeks. He is a author, a speaker, a amazing evangelist, a uh, inventor. He invents programs. He does ministry that's groundbreaking, and he's always so wise and insightful. Alex, welcome back. Well, Bill, thank you so much. That's a very gracious introduction of which I'm not worthy. Well, I, but God is working through you, and you're doing some very creative things and making a huge difference. So that's exciting. Well, we give God the glory. I we know. give God the glory. Faith Radio is making a great uh, impact in the lives of a lot of people, and the Lord is using you. And uh, it really is an exciting time to be in ministry. Um, I know there's so much that people are concerned about. I'm concerned too, but uh, I was with a group of pastors earlier this week. I was in Columbus, Ohio, uh, doing a a worldview training seminar for a group of about 270 people. And then I'm in Colorado right now, but um, I was talking with a group of pastors this morning about, uh, you know, if you could ask God for one thing for the, the church in America, I mean, if you had one prayer and God said, I will do this. What would you ask God for? And that was a really interesting conversation. And and may I pose that question to you, Bill? Yeah, you may. Huh. <laughs> and, well, and and if you feel so led, you may answer it. Yeah. I mean, if you had one prayer. Yeah. I mean, for our country and the body of believers in the USA, and you you could ask the Lord a request and and he would grant it. What would you pray for, Bill? Well, I appreciate you reframing it. I I had a couple thoughts in my head, and the one that jumps into my head is that there would be an explosion of one-on-one evangelism, because we we lead people to Christ most of the time one-on-one. And when hearts change and lives are transformed, that's, I think, when the country transforms. Amen. Amen. What would be your answer, Alex? Well, you know, in the context of this conversation, I was thinking about it, and I thought, okay, yeah, one-on-one evangelism, that would be good. And, um, you know, if people would acknowledge the authority of Scripture, that would be good. There were a number of things. but So I said, I, I guess I would ask for the complete, unobstructed work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Mm, I, I like mean, that. The, the unfettered full, pervasive, unobstructed work of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, um, 
If the Holy Spirit had full reign, we would love the Lord supremely. We would love each other. Remember John 13, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And we would obey the Great Commission, and we would have compassion on the lost, and we would um, think biblically. But, you know, one of the pastors pointed out something that I think is really true, and I really think we need to seek and desire this, is unity within the body of Christ. In John 17, Jesus is on his way to the cross, and he prayed for unity within the body. And so it was a an interesting discussion because um, we we do need revival in the church, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. It, it gave me a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to pray for. Yeah, if I could change my answer, which is probably too late, but if I could, I'd probably say full reign of the Holy Spirit in the church today. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, that, that was my answer, too, yeah. Oh, well, then look so, at that. We're, we're working together today, Alex. You know, I was thinking of you I today, knew. and I came across a thought that um, throughout the, the theme in, the, in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is humility, and you always offer a large measure of humility. And it's a pretty important today that if we're not offering authentic humbleness in our attitudes towards others— and showing mercy and cultivating peace and blessing those who persecute us, we're we're not living out what the kingdom wants us to do. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you, you're you're right about that. And um, humility. You know, I, I've been around a lot of academics and a lot of people that are you know impress impressive people. And you know, I I've had my heroes. We probably all have. But you know, when you think about the Lord, I mean, don't, don't you believe that when we, when we leave this world and we stand in the presence of God, yes, you know, we're all every mouth will be stopped. I mean, the Apostle John saw an angel and almost, you know, fell on the floor, you know, fainted <laughs> dead away. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine when we see Christ. I mean, we're all going to be humbled. But um, you know, I, I'm looking for something right now on my phone. I want to read you a quote by John Wesley um, that was just really interesting. Um, a younger person that he was like, no, I'm sorry, it was John Newton. You remember John Newton oh, that yes. wrote Amazing Grace? Yes. So I want to read you something. How long till, till the break, Bill? Five minutes. All right. Li- this is going to blow your mind. All right. So John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, and there was a wonderful movie made about his life several years ago, he had a, a younger friend that he was kind of mentoring, and this particular young man got into an argument with a brother about something, and uh, this this young Christian man was going to write a letter and just straighten this guy out, just really straighten him out. So John Newton wrote him, and I want to read this. Uh, just think about this, because I found it very convicting. John Newton said, quote, As to your opponent, I wish that before you set pen to paper against him, and during the whole time you were preparing your answer, you may commend him by earnest prayer to the Lord's teaching and blessing. This practice of prayer will have a direct tendency to conciliate your heart to love and pity him, and such a disposition will have a good influence upon every word you write. If you account him as a believer, though greatly mistaken in the subject of debate between you, The words of David to Joab concerning Absalom are very applicable here. Deal gently with him for my sake. 
The Lord loves him and bears with him. Therefore, you must not despise him or treat him harshly, said John Newton. The Lord bears with you likewise and expects that you should show tenderness to others from a sense of the much forgiveness you need yourself. In a little while, you will meet him in heaven. He will then be dearer to you than the nearest friend you have on earth is to you now. Anticipate that period in your thoughts, and though you may find it necessary to correct his errors, view him personally as a kindred soul with with whom you are to be happy in Christ forever. Wow, that's awesome. Isn't that powerful? Oh, is that ever. And I don't know, Bill, I, a lot of times people write me or they'll email and they'll, they, you know, have conflict with a Christian or there's, you know, some stress in the church and they just want to straighten somebody out or something. And I mean, we all, I've been that way. And I don't know, I just think one of the, one of the keys to revival that we really need is unity within the body of Christ. And um, I don't mean compromise, you know, that. There are some hills we die on, like the deity of Jesus and mm-hmm. um, the resurrection, and that on on Calvary's cross, Jesus bled and died to wash our sins away. I mean, we, we don't budge on those core essentials of the gospel. But I don't know, the longer I live, the, the other things that are ancillary, uh, we've got to give grace and give space to each other, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. Alex, I'd love to talk a little bit about Matthew 7, 1, about judge not oh, lest yeah. you be judged. I think that's uh, sadly one of the, the most misunderstood or misapplied teachings in Scripture. And I think it brings up a point that you just are making when you say you just want to, you know, uh, have it out with somebody in church or someone in your life. And um, I would love for you to give a perspective on that verse. Yeah, well, you know, that's like one of the most quoted verses of all. Josh McDowell used to say this, that there was a day when the most oft-quoted verse would have been John 3.16, mm-hmm. you know, for, for God so loved the world. But now, Matthew 7, 1, judge not. Um, let me say, Bill, what it doesn't mean. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. It doesn't mean that we erase all boundaries and throw out all standards and, you know, we, we can't say that something is wrong and something is sinful. Uh, I, I believe, and I've done a fair amount of study on this, what, what Matthew 7, 1 means is that from our human perspective, we, we don't judge arrogantly or, or using ourselves as the standard. But with God's Word as the standard, we most certainly can evaluate and make accurate assessments of behaviors and viewpoints. Uh, like, for instance, if, if I said, um, well, how is Bill Arnold going to get to heaven? I'm way better than him. <laughs> no, that's mm-hmm. wrong. Right. That's wrong. But the Word of God most certainly is in a position to judge all of us. Mm-hmm. And the Bible talks about looking into the perfect law of the Lord. And Yes, God loves people, but the Bible says repent of sin. The Bi- I mean, read 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. There, there's a grocery list of things that God says are sinful and will keep you out of heaven if you don't turn from them. And so um, I think we need to help the world understand that they've, 
egregiously over-applied Matthew 7-1. And if they think that means there's no such thing as sin and judgment, they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Alex, does this qualify as judging? If you are possibly discerning sin in my life and then helping me get rid of it, would that be qualifying as a judging? Which would be a good thing, Uh, by the way. uh, Yeah, yeah, it, it would be judging, and it would also be love and compassion. Yeah, yeah. Because, do you know, I mean, look, the the doctor who says, hey, um, I've got to operate, I can save your life, but if we don't operate, that tumor is going to kill you. I mean, that doctor's not being a bad guy. That doctor is practicing good medicine mm-hmm. because he's he's doing the hard thing to save the life of the patient. And And when we say to the world, Look, um, homosexuality is a sin. God loves you. You can be saved. But heterosexual monogamy, marriage between a man and a woman, that is God's standard. Um, Adultery, murder, lying, pride, gossip. I mean, we think these are little sins and no big deal, but We've got to remind the world that sin was serious enough that in order for it to be dealt with, the Son of God had to go to the cross. Sin is serious. Yeah. Tell God those are little sins and then get back to me. (laughs) If there's any of you left. (laughs) All right, Alex, let me take a short break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com, alexmcfarland.com. Be right back. Dr. Alex McFarland. You can go to alexmcfarland.com, learn more about Alex. So, Alex, I, if you don't mind shifting gears a little bit, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about sorrow. Uh, when we, because we were talking about, you know, sin before going to break, and when you have godly sorrow, the, these are probably, should be deep convictions and remorse over your sin that draws you to repent and return to Christ. And then it seems that there's another kind of sorrow, which, you know, is the worldly sort of sorrow, which you feel, you know, maybe some guilt about your wrong behavior, but it drives you away from God and leaves you with oftentimes a sense of feeling uh, hopeless or overwhelmed and maybe for some a desire to not even go on living. Yeah. Second uh, Corinthians 7 talks about godly sorrow works repentance. But, but, you know, worldly sorrow, there, there's, there's remorse and there's contrition. Mm-hmm. You know, Cain exhibited remorse. And remorse is kind of the mindset of, um, man, I, I hate I got caught here. But contrition, you don't hear that word a whole lot, no. be broken and contrite. You know, like in Psalm 51, a broken and contrite spirit. Uh, contrition is really, I, I read in one commentary, Bill, a pharmaceutical term that like a pharmacist that was making a medicine would grind a powder, uh, of the, the mortar and, and pestle. He would grind this powder. And when we are broken and contrite, it's like we've been ground and to powder. 
and broken. Um, contrition is a wonderful thing because if we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us in due time. But remorse just says, that's not fair. God is not being compassionate to me. I hate the situation I'm in. It's not my fault. Um, uh, we live in a, a time, and I know I'm going to sound like some old curmudgeon or something like that. <laughs> but I mean, I, not to me, I, I, I can't. I counsel a lot of people, and one of the rarest commodities. I mean, you think diamonds are rare? You, you know, you think think. I'll tell you what's really rare is um, accountability and the willingness to say, you know. I take responsibility for my actions. That was my fault. Um, you know, the Bible says, you know, against thee and thee only have I sinned. See, here, here's the thing. Every one of us eventually will take responsibility for our sin. We will eventually acknowledge our accountability mm-hmm. before God. But the question is, will you do that now while there is remedy and recourse, or will you do that before God at the great white throne when there's only condemnation? See, the the wisest thing you can do is, is the hard thing to admit and say, God, I am a sinner, and I am sorry for my sins, and I deserve your judgment. But I believe in Jesus. I'm asking for mercy. I believe Christ paid for my sin, and Lord, please, please save me and restore me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for for many, admission of accountability before God is a bitter pill to swallow. But to die with unresolved guilt before a holy God, I mean, that's going to be an eternal sorrow. So, Bill, there might even be somebody listening to this program right now. And, and I want to say that God does love you and God cares about you deeply, but God is a holy God. Part of God's eternality, part of the fact that God is eternal, is the fact that there is no sin, no iniquity in God whatsoever. He is righteous, and part of his his ability to exist eternally is because he is thoroughly righteous, no sin. So God is most certainly capable and within his authority to judge us. So, you know, acknowledge yourself before God. And I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to admit that they're accountable to God. But in reality, we we all are, aren't we? Mm -hmm. We are. And of course, you picked up on where I was referencing this sorrow I was discussing with you a few minutes ago. And of course, that's from 2 Corinthians 7 in verses 10. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death. I think of people who are caught up in worldly sorrow where they, they do feel sorry for themselves, their bad behavior, it drives them away from God, and it fractures their relationships. So I, I do want to encourage that godly sorrow that you can come and take your sin before the Lord and repent, and he will make you whole and restore you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people, they they don't want to repent of sin. They want to rationalize and legitimize their sin. And, you know, even, uh, you know, we, we counsel with people that have gender confusion or same-sex attraction or even they're, they're in adultery 
or they're addicted to substances or whatever. And there's always, seems like always, some mitigating factor. Well, Alex, you don't understand. Uh, I had it hard. Therefore, I have the right to do what I do. Mm-hmm. I was abused. Therefore, my deviant behavior is is legitimized. And Bill, I think there's this idea that if we think we've had it rough, God's somehow going to give us a pass on sin. And he's not. Now, God is mercifully calling people right now. and The Holy Spirit of God is patiently you know, pricking people's conscience. But I love the Second Corinthians seven ten that you read. Godly sorrow brings repentance. See, that's contrition to throw yourself in the mercy of God. But just remorse, worldly sorrow brings death. Um, few things are as painful to see as someone who is bitter, unforgiving. Uh, there's a word, and I know I use a lot of old-timey words. Have you ever, Bill, you ever heard the word recalcitrant? Oh, yeah. I've done a lot of prison ministry, and every now and then I'll meet somebody. There are, there are a lot of people in prison that, that will tell you, and they'll say, I, I thank God I, I wound up in jail because it, I finally hit bottom, and I realized I needed Jesus. And, I mean, that that tough love opens up a lot of people's eyes. But I've met people in jail that are recalcitrant. Mm-hmm. They are like, you know, blankety-blank, the world has dealt me a rough hand. Yep. And if I ever get out of here, I'm going to find that judge that convicted me, and boy, they're going to pay. And I always tell people, I say, listen, do yourself a favor and and humble yourself before the God who loves you, because worldly sorrow brings. In other words, just being mad and stewing about your situation. And one last little thing, and you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and we preachers, we we meddle in places no one asks us to go. <laughs> but uh, unforgiveness will destroy you, and there might be somebody listening, and you need to do some fence mending, and maybe, maybe you're in the right, and somebody hurt you, but let it go. Life is so short, and number one. Uh, talk to Jesus and open your heart just humbly before God. But maybe there's somebody listening, Bill, and they need to get right with a loved one or or a neighbor. And just um, don't talk about how in the right you are and you, somebody, you know, they, they owe me an apology. No. Um, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. Ble- blessed are the peacemakers. God will bless you. If you are a unifier of people. Mm-hmm. Alex, thank you so much for doing the program and blessings to you uh, this weekend in Colorado. It sounds like you're there to do some ministry as always. Yeah. And yeah. well, thank you, Bill. It's always a blessing. And Rosie helped me keep my schedule straight. She's she will. Tremendous. She will. And I love all the people at Faith Radio. As we love you. Thank you, Alex, so much. Bye. Bye bye. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. You can always head over to uh, Alex McFarland. Dot com A L E X M C F A R L A N D. When we come back, my guest uh, is Matt Mitchell. We're going to talk about resisting gossip, winning the war of the wagging tongue. What's up with her? I'd say she is in love. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Don't 
All right. Gossip. Oh, that's a big word. It's everywhere. It's on the Internet, to TV. You might even hear it in the break room, maybe in churches. And it's pretty prevalent in our culture. And it's kind of hard to resist if you hear a juicy story, uh, especially if it's about somebody else's business. But I wonder what God says about gossip. That's a good question I'd like to pose to our guest, Matt Mitchell. He's written a book called Resisting Gossip, Winning the War of the Wagging Tongue. Matt, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be here. So nice. You know, I, it's funny. My uh, station manager sent me this little note, put it on my desk about the the way gossip started, and it sort of morphed into, uh, and the meaning shifted, uh, going from um, keeping secrets to betraying secrets. It once meant mm. confiding of them. Now it now it's the betraying of them. It's funny how that works. Right. Yes. I think the original uh, Oxford English Dictionary talks about a god-sib, a god-sib which was exactly. like a god-parent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's the kind of intimate conversation that you know parents would have about their kids, uh, but then now it's uh, spun out into something malignant. Yeah. So let's talk about gossip and how we resist it, because it, is, it is, mm-hmm. can be juicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, the, I guess the first question is, what is gossip? Yeah, great I mean, question. How do you know when you're doing that? Um, so uh, I I study this for uh, writing the book, and I came up with a definition that kind of pulls together all the different things that the Bible says, because it never defines gossip in just one place. It kind of describes gossip in action. But my definition is this. it's The sin of gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Ooh. And you can tell there that I'm a preacher because I got the three B's, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, so it's bearing bad news. So it's a, it tells a story, uh-huh. and it's the opposite of the gospel. You know, it's about bad news. It's about something uh, shameful or sinful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a story of something good, but it's a story of something uh, wrong. And then it's told behind somebody's back. So the person that you're talking about is not present, and that's intentional because it's more fun. <laughs> And more interesting to talk about somebody who isn't there. Mm-hmm. So gossip is kind of clandestine. It's uh, it's it's sneaky. It's it's whispering, not lowering your voice, but kind of talking in such a way as to talk when the person isn't present. And then out of a bad heart, because it's it's out of out of that worshiping core of the human being that all of our bad words come from. Mm-hmm. So when I think of sometimes we we hear prayer requests, and is there, is there mm-hmm. a fine line there where it might say, well, we need to pray for um, Jerry because, and then we kind of delve into some details that might be a little gossipy. Right. Yes. I mean, certainly there's a line that we can cross. Um, and so we need to be careful. Um, we need to you know, ask ourselves, is this story, this prayer request true? Because mm-hmm. uh, it could be bad news as in, you know, bad information. It's just plain false. Um, or it could be it's a true story, but it is something um, something bad, something wrong. The next question we might ask ourselves is, is this my story to tell? Um, th- w- what is my role here? Um, and then also, why am I sharing this prayer request? Okay, I'm saying it's a prayer request, but has it kind of morphed into something else? Am I actually sharing it because I want to I talk about somebody um, to entertain myself or perhaps to get somebody in trouble mm-hmm. or, um, or to show that I'm on the inside track. I know something that you don't know about so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking of maybe my, my feelings get hurt. And instead of 
Mm. And let's say you hurt my feelings. So instead of coming directly to you I'm and sorry, saying, Bill. <laughs> I, well, thank you. <laughs> I can draw, I could drop this point now. Uh, <laughs> but instead of come, going to you and saying, boy, Matt, you hurt my right. feelings. I'm going to go to your, your buddy, Steve and go, what's up with Matt? He kind of hurt my feelings. And this is what right. he said to me. And is that considered uh, counsel or is that just considered venting and, and, and kind of gossipy? Right. Where's the verse in the Bible about venting? I'm not sure I know. Is that Second Hesitations, <laughs> Chapter 4? Exactly. Um, I know we call it lots of different things. Certainly, we can, in a faith-based way, in a godly way, seek counsel about how to relate to somebody that has harmed us. Um, and, and that's not sinful. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure that when we're talking about the person that's not there, that we would do it in the way we would want to be talked about if we weren't there. Um, so w- w- it doesn't just because we're seeking counsel doesn't mean we can just talk willy-nilly however we want to. Um, and we have to make sure that we are ready or willing. We're trying to get ourselves ready and able to go and talk to the person that has hurt us. If I'm only going to people and talking about and not talking to, then I'm, I'm out of line. Hmm. So maybe we can talk a little bit about... Um how we can be aware of gossip and how we can uh, have our, our little radar go off. I go, oh, boy, this is gossip, and I don't want to be part of this, and this is not uh, what information I want to receive, and, and I want it to stop. Right. I always start with that definition. As, okay. as a conversation is kind of that. flowing along, I ask myself, is this bad news? And it could be true news about somebody, uh, and it's just there's no good reason for me to be talking about that person. And it, is it behind their back? Is there, would I talk differently about this person uh, if they were here? Well, if I would, then why am I talking this way right now? So those would be kind of diagnostic questions I might be asking myself in the back of my mind when I'm talking. And then also that big why question. Why is this person talking to me about that other person? What is their, what is their perceived motive? What's going on there? And why am I attracted to this? Because it t- does take two to tango. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the gossiper and the, the gossip e and the gossip it. I'm not sure. You know, the victim, the person that's being talked about. So why am I the gossip e? Why am I listening to this? Because gossip can be just simply not saying, I don't know why, why we're talking about this. Why, why is this the subject of conversation? Uh, have you talked to so-and-so about that? Those would be things that might turn up my radar. Mm-hmm. There's a biblical phrase for a bad report. There's a Hebrew word. Can you tell me what it is? The Hebrew word is dibah. Yeah, that's it, and, dibah. And, it, and it's an evil report. Um, it's kind of like what Joseph did. In fact, it is what Joseph did about his brothers. We don't know exactly what was going on there, but he sent back this, I think, tattling kind of uh, bad report on his brothers. Tattling, by the way, is a kind of gossip where you're, you're trying to get somebody in trouble by, by telling on them instead of talking to them. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't tell an authority that there's a problem, but there's this kind of twisted intent. I'm going to tell on you, which I think is what, what Joseph was doing. There's other places in the Old Testament where somebody's giving a, an evil report. For example, the, um, the spies that uh, looked into the land, the 10 spies, not the two, the unfaithful ones came back and they said, oh, those giants, they're way too big for us, which was a distortion of of what they were supposed to do. And it was a, a, an evil report. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so some of the principles you lay out in the book are really solid, and it's a, a, 
It's got to be very convicting for people who might have a Mm. tendency of enjoying um, spicy Mm. information about somebody. You know, where do we... What happened, Matt, where we got so involved in everybody's business was social media, I'm sure, is partly to blame, but there's everybody is now into everybody's business. What has happened to privacy and a little bit of mm. uh, modesty? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree, and I'm totally guilty, too. Uh, with social media, we're broadcasting our business all over the Internet. <laughs> yes, no wonder are. people aren't also then, you know, uh, thinking that it belongs to them. Um, yeah, the Proverbs say that it's like grabbing a dog by the ears to meddle in somebody else's business. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not mine, and it's going to come back and bite you. Yeah. Um, where did it come from? I mean, it comes from our sinful hearts. It is age-old problem. I mean, we're talking about the Bible here. Uh proverb that I just quoted was 3,000 years ago written, and they were dealing with the exact same thing. Human nature hasn't changed, but we have found some uh, exciting new ways to broadcast it. Yeah, it's true. Um it's, um, I'm sure it's something that everybody suffers with. And I think we, we all have a, a memory of either a grandma or, mm. or a mother saying, if you, if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, does, and wise words those are. Yes. Uh, hasn't everyone had that uh, experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Unfortunately, I've given in. I mean, the Proverbs in um, two different times in the Old Testament— uh, the same proverb is repeated, Proverbs 18.8 and 26.22. They say the words of a gossip are like choice morsels that go down to a man's inmost parts. So Solomon knew that gossip was addictive and alluring and attractive, and it was sweet and savory and salty. And you knew you wanted that, uh, a piece of that. And and so do I. I. I fall prey to this too. In fact, I was never more aware that I was a gossiper until I wrote a book about it, and I think I've made some progress. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. A listener, uh, Dave, just wrote in and said, if someone gossips to you about someone, they are likely gossiping to others about mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, is, is, isn't that kind of a red flag that this person might be saying things about me behind my back? Yes, because a gossip, you know, more often in your Bible, gossip is describes a kind of person than a kind of speech pattern. It, it does both. The words of a gossip are like this, but notice it's the words of a gossip. It's actually a kind of person, a person who is both drawn to these kind of stories and loves to share them with others. So mm-hmm. I think I think your listener, Dave, is exactly right. Yeah. Uh, talk about how gossiping can destroy trust. Mm. Yeah. Um, Proverbs eleven thirteen: a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. So it's bound up in a lot of gossip to be talking about something you've learned maybe in a confidential way, and then you give it away, like we were talking about at the the beginning of the broadcast. So if that happens, why would I trust that person again? It's like a stab in the back Mm -hmm. to to be talking behind somebody's back. Mm -hmm. And uh, Matt, talk about how it's impossible to take your words back. As much as and as hard as you might try. Right. Yeah, it's like uh, trying to get the toothpaste back in the tube. It just doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like a gun that's fired. You know, after you hear the shot, you can't can't get the bullet back. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord can't redeem a gossip situation. And we certainly can be forgiven um, of the times where we've gossiped. 
but it's not like the um, the trouble can be easily undone, especially if if our negative words go viral, because then you can't uh, can't grab them. People have likened it to like you know, opening up a feather pillow and the feathers go out in the wind, and you can't you know find them all. Now the Lord can find them all, and He can undo, He can undo all of them. He's sovereign over that. But we don't we aren't supposed to trust uh, that He will you know make good of all of our our trouble and just sin all the more so the grace may abound. Mm-hmm. We we need to be be careful with our speech. Yeah. Matt, would you say something about putting off gossip and putting on edifying speech? Mm-hmm. Say more about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I think that was one of the things that have been the most encouraging to people as they've read Resisting Gossip is that I don't just say, gossip's bad, don't do that. <laughs> gossip's alluring, you know, yeah. resist, resist. But what do we do instead of gossip? Because um, I mean, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, we're supposed to put off the old and put on the new. And the new is being like Christ. And and in Christ, we can become like him. We can change. So, you know, if you think about um, uh, whatever you've been attracted to, um, the, the opposite is also possible. So, for example, if we don't gossip, what are we supposed to talk about? Uh, well, we can say nothing at all. Like you said earlier, mm-hmm. uh, we can commend the commendable. So if somebody has uh, in the conversation is kind of going negative, we can think of something positive to say. Now I'm not saying flattery, because flattery is the opposite of gossip in the sense that here we're saying something to their face they would never say behind their back. Um, so we shouldn't uh, flatter somebody, but we could find something about the person we're talking about that's good and kind of change the conversation. We can talk to people, not about them. We can offer words of mercy. I had a friend who um, she was she was struggling with a coworker, and people were talking about that coworker in the break room. And she said, "Well, what can we do to help the coworker?" Mm. That's a word of mercy. Instead of kind of complaining, complaining, it's kind of what do we do to build up? And then, of course, we can also talk to and about the Lord. We can pray uh, for that person. We can. Um, we, so, and we can uh, also tell somebody uh, about the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Let me take a break. Matt Mitchell is my guest. He wrote a book called Resisting Gossip, Winning the War of the Wagging Tongue. We'll be right back. Glad to be having Matt Mitchell on the show. He's written a book called Resisting Gossip, Winning the War of the Wagging Tongue. You know, I'm just real curious uh, to shout out to all my listeners that if you have lost a friendship as a result of gossip, Mm. I would love for you to text the word yes or no. I'd just love to have a short survey of uh, maybe a a Mm. dozen uh, text messages. You can send it to 877-933-2484. Have you lost a friendship as a result of gossip? Yes mm-hmm. or no? 877-933-2484. Matt, um, I'm curious about um, how we can respond in love when we're caught in a crossfire of gossip. Yeah, yeah, because we're supposed to love our enemies, aren't yes, we? Yes, we are. 
<laughs> I think that's one of the hardest things the Lord has asked us to do. Um, and when somebody's gossiping about you, they're they're acting as your enemy, whether they're your your best friend or or uh, somebody far away. Um, obviously, th- that's also not one size fits all. Um, when we love somebody, sometimes love looks like this, and sometimes love looks differently. Mm-hmm. One way we can love somebody is just to overlook the offense. We understand that somebody's gossiping about us. It's not going to change our relationship with them. Uh, overlooking is a, a glory, according to the Proverbs. It's a glory for a man to overlook an offense. And and that's kind of like forgiving without going through the process. Another is to confront. It's to go and say, um, I understand that you were talking about me, and and this was hurtful to me in this kind of situation. I would like for us to solve this between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- those are those are two that come uh, readily to mind. Mm-hmm. A listener uh, uh, jumped in with one thought I heard many years ago. Ask yourself, am I part of the answer or problem? If not, it's likely right. best to not to not be part of this conversation. And they're already starting to come in, uh, Matt. Yes, yes, yes. And somebody said yes, and it's hard for me to trust people. Relationships really can hurt, and I've been on both ends. Mm. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about... Uh, turning and giving your reputation to God and saying, God, my right. reputation belongs to you. Right. A reputation is a really good thing. I mean, we want to have a good reputation, but we can't control our reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord is sovereign over that, uh, but we are not. So if somebody's talking about you. You can't run around uh, catching all those uh, flower, uh, not flowers, but um, uh, uh, feathers that we were talking about earlier. You can't run around town finding all those feathers of somebody else's gossip and collecting them all. Um, so you have to trust the Lord with your reputation. Now, you can control what your character. Mm-hmm. You can make good decisions and live down gossip that other people uh, say about you, but you can't control your own reputation. So you have to entrust your reputation to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, maybe we could talk a little bit about how we would cultivate a gossip-resistant church. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the first thing would be to pray about it. And, you know, we always say that that's the first thing, but I mean it. Mm-hmm. Um, we I know we you need do. to uh, ask, our, ask the Lord to put a, a guard in front of our mouth. Uh, another thing is to have leaders that exemplify gossip resistance. Um, it actually shows up in descriptions of uh, deacons and the elders and the deacons' wives or deaconesses in the pastoral epistles that they need to be control. They have to have control over their tongue, not be uh, double mouthed. Um, another is to kind of have the leaders be kind of that, that thermostat, mm-hmm. not the thermometer, and just act like everybody else, uh, but but the thermostat, kind of setting the spiritual temperature in the church. Now, on the flip side of that would be to have open channels of communication. I think sometimes gossip flourishes in certain church circles because we have not, as leaders, opened ourselves up to correction enough. We haven't had the open-door policy. We've kind of tried to stamp down on dissent, and, uh, and, and that's not healthy either. We need to be ready to receive even uh, you know, the wounds of a friend. Uh, can be trusted. And uh, it's the enemy that multiplies kisses. So we shouldn't insist on everybody kissing all the time. We should uh, have open open doors uh, mm-hmm. for people to, to to come and say where they, where they think there's a problem. We need to keep the, the main thing, the main thing, and the gospel is the main thing. So that needs to be at the center of all of our relationships. 
th- those are some principles that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Another listener said, I've learned to not talk about anyone in the room unless they are present. It's taken years mm-hmm. to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Boy, isn't that some That's wisdom? hard to do, too, and not oh, always possible. Ever? I mean, I'm, I'm, sometimes we have to talk about somebody who isn't there, like, you know, mom and dad, after the kids have gone to bed, talking about the kids' kids' <laughs> behavior. Yeah. Um, you know, elders have to do that. Um, even even neighbors have to do that. But I think you're right. When they aren't there, that should make it harder for us to talk about them because we want to be even more careful and be talking about them as if they were, or at least as if we would want to be talked about if if we were the person that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I was gossiping about you during the break to my producer. Um, <sighs> oh, yeah, I was... It, it was, That's not what I heard. It, well, it was mostly good, though. It was mostly good. <laughs> but if you hear about uh, someone gossip, gossiping about you, what do you do about it? How do you confront the person? And because you've got you've got several people now involved, right? Yeah, gossip stories can get convoluted. Person A <laughs> talks to person B about person C, and then person <laughs> D was present. And right. Yeah. Um, being forthright is good. Um, sending somebody back to talk to somebody else um, is, is also a good way um, in, in some of these situations. Um, I heard it was, that so-and-so said this. Well, have you talked to so-and-so about that? Before you go talking to me about it any further, you should go back and make sure that that's right. I like that. And that takes a little bit of courage as well, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. The Lord didn't say it would be uh, easy. He just said it would be good. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, has shown us the way. You know, we talked about loving your enemy. He He showed us how that's done. I mean, he, Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still thumbing our nose at him. He showed us that self-sacrificial love. And, and so if we follow him, we bear the family resemblance. Mm-hmm. I know there's uh, in your book five kinds of gossiping people. Can you just uh, in the last few minutes we have uh, talk about a couple of the, of the five? Absolutely, yeah. And there's probably more than this, but these were five that I found uh, uh, as I was studying. But the first is the backstabber. Um, that's that person that's kind of that overt. Um, you know, they they're mad and they're angry, and so they're taking it out on somebody. Kind of character assassination from. Uh, from afar. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is the spy. That's the person who loves to get the dirt on somebody else and then use that information to his or her personal advantage. They're normally motivated by power. You mentioned the grumbler, like you're unhappy about something. Maybe you're jealous. Somebody has something you don't want, so you want to kind of take them down a um, a peg. Mm-hmm. The chameleon's the person who gossips to fit in. That's the person Ooh. who kind of wants to, everybody else has a story. Well, I have to share a story about somebody else just so that I can be a part of Interesting. it. Interesting. And then the and then there's the busybody, which is kind of our, you were talking about social media and everybody talking about everybody. It's kind of who's on the menu today. Let's have them for lunch. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's all destructive. And at what point is, are we simply just not uh, following what God wants us to do? And I think mm-hmm. we, I, I always say, you know, I, I host a radio show. I need to learn how to keep my mouth shut more often than I should. <laughs> Always using our mouths to edify. Now, sometimes we have to use sharp words. I mean, Paul Paul always was edifying in the Bible, but he had some strong words, and the Lord Jesus had even stronger words. But we always need to make sure that our words are intended in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if we're using our words to build people up and to edify them, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna starve ourselves of the desire to gossip, mm-hmm. aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It, it may not be. Uh, 
uh, entertaining as entertaining, but it will be it'll be good. It'll I be know. rich. Uh, and that takes some discipline, doesn't it, Matt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we have to say no to some things. We have to resist. You know, that, that uh, t- tantalizing piece of gossip looks really good. Say no. Yeah. And we talked about this earlier in the, sh- in the show, but uh, a listener said, I really hate when people use gossip as a prayer request. It seems mm-hmm. godly, but it usually is not. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And then the last question, do, does gossip violate any commandments? Well, certainly. Um, that ninth commandment um, about contentment, or uh, uh, the ninth commandment about bearing false witness, yeah. is, is definitely uh, in play. Yeah, mm. Matt. So interesting. You're a delightful guest. And did you are you coming out with an article in Desiring God? Yes, end of uh, next month. It should be there. Okay, we'll look for it. Matt Mitchell has been my guest, and his book is called Resisting Gossip: Winning the War of the Wagging Tongue. Matt, have a great weekend, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Love being here. Yep. That wraps up this hour. We've got hour two coming up. I'm excited to welcome back uh, Ken Samples, who's a philosopher and theologian. That is an encore presentation. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.